is that if Christ is going to be our Savior, he must also be our Lord. So tonight, uh, we're going to spend some time, and we're going to look, look at and focus on the Lordship of Christ. And our text verse tonight is in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, in verse 15. Does anybody have that verse? Thank you, Dan. It's interesting. Uh, Peter begins this particular verse with the word but. And he tells us to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and to always be ready to give an answer. Uh, when somebody asks us the reason for the hope that we have in us. And, of course, we've got to do it in the right attitude. Now, again, it's important to understand the context of verse 15, and we find that in verse 14. Anybody got that? So Peter is writing uh, to Christians who are being persecuted uh, for their faith. And here uh, in this particular verse, and in verse 15 as well, He's given an antidote there, but he's, he's showing us how not to be afraid of persecution. Now, keep in mind, um, Peter wants us to understand something, that the threats of people, what, what's the worst they can do to us? Kill us. What's the worst God can do to us? Spend eternity in hell, right? So... The point that Peter is making here is the, the threats is, uh, that they're making against God's people are really empty because there's nothing they can do to harm our souls. Now, they might kill our body, but they cannot destroy the souls of God's people. Now, notice again, Peter at the end of verse 14 says, Neither be ye troubled. Interesting word because uh, even in the Greek, that word literally means to be shaken up. It means to disturb, be disturbed, and it refers almost all the time to some type of emotional turmoil uh, going on in our lives. Uh, one, we're not going to turn there, but one example was back in Matthew chapter 2 uh, when the wise men brought news about uh, the Savior of the Jews uh, the king of the Jews being born in Jeru- uh, there at that particular time around Jerusalem in Bethlehem. Uh, the Bible says that not only was Herod, but all of Jerusalem was troubled. There was a deep stirring in their hearts. It really bothered them. Another example is the night when the disciples uh, were out on the sea uh, and the, the storm was coming. And here comes Christ walking on the water. They were deeply troubled. And that's the idea that Peter is talking about here. They, that he says, don't be agitated. Don't let it trouble you that deeply. So Peter says, rather than being afraid of those who persecute us, if we are Christians, we're to quietly trust in the Lord and to believe that he is in control of every event in our lives. So my question is this. 
Is God in control of our lives? Which part of it? Okay, every bit of it. And we've got to believe that. And so whenever we come to a place in our lives where we allow the Lord to rule our thoughts, when we allow Him to rule our emotions, we cannot be bothered, we cannot be troubled, we cannot be shaken by anything our enemies might do to us. Because the bottom line is, who are we to fear? The fear of God. Now, we'll be again in the book of Nehemiah in Sunday school on, on Sunday morning. What a great uh, time of history of the Jews that is, and what a great man of God that Nehemiah was. And the bottom line was, we're going to find out this coming Sunday, how he reacted to opposition. The bottom line is, he trusted God even in the midst of opposition. So again, when we respect and we honor the Lord, we have nothing else to fear. Look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10. Look at verse 28. Okay, thank you, Jason. Now, we kind of already alluded to that, but the fact of the matter is, the worst that man can do is to kill this body, but our fear not to be to, to them, but toward the Lord, who can both destroy our body and soul. Now, also understand, uh, in, in that verse, Peter's put that word but there, and he says, look, instead of being afraid of people, there in verse 14, Peter says, Focus on Jesus Christ himself. In fact, he makes it very clear, as a child of God, we are to sanctify the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts. Now, what does the Bible mean when it speaks of our hearts? What's it mean? Exactly, our deepest emotion. The deepest part of our existence. And by the way, uh, Peter talks about our hearts. And again, it was considered a place of deep emotions. And where does fear dwell? Yeah, in our deep emotions. That's exactly where fear is. And so Peter says, take that fear and replace that fear with faith and reverence toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Set him apart, sanctify him in our hearts. Now, when we acknowledge him as our Lord and Savior, then we recognize uh, his holiness. When we do that, we're able to rest in him. And if we're resting in him and we've sanctified him in our hearts, there's no room for fear resting in him. Isaiah chapter 8, look at verses 12 and 13. We can't say for sure, but probably Peter was alluding to this uh, verse in Isaiah when he wrote what he did in and, and Peter here. And the bottom line is that uh, Isaiah said, God said, there's some people say, you know, going around who's saying there's a confederacy. You know, they're gathering, they're gaining up, uh, and they're going to come against you. And Isaiah says, I don't care who tells you that. I don't care how many are in that camp. Don't 
be afraid of them. But then he says, sanctify, instead of being afraid of them, Isaiah says, sanctify the Lord God of hosts himself. And who's to be our fear? He is. We need to be afraid of God. We need to have our dread of God. Don't worry about this supposed confederacy gaining ground on you. Put your fear in the Lord. So when we set apart Christ as our Lord, we're talking about His Lordship now, when we regard Him as holy uh, and reverence Him in our hearts, we know, then we know that He's in control of events. We know that He is the reigning King. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. And the bottom line is, every power in heaven, on earth, under earth, Ultimately, every power will finally give in to who? Into God, because He is Lord. Sanctify Him in your hearts. We studied through the years, you remember, on several occasions, about the inspiration of God's Word, how it was breathed out. Uh, Peter also addresses that in his letters uh, when he speaks about that holy men of old didn't speak of their own mind, of their own will. They wrote the Word of God as they were born along by the Holy Spirit. So again, Peter is being inspired by God to write what he writes. So when we think about the context of this, he's writing people who are being persecuted. He's writing people who are being threatened because they've placed their faith in Christ. And Peter says, don't be afraid and don't be troubled. And rather than do that, being afraid and troubled, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. That's the remedy, Peter says. But here's what's interesting. Do you realize there's a time in Peter's life, even after he began to follow Jesus, he hadn't yet sanctified the Lord Jesus in his heart yet. Now remember, in verse 14... Peter says, if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you're happy. And he says, don't be afraid of their terror, and don't be troubled by what you think they might do to you. Now, in light of that, I have a question. Was there a time in Peter's life when he was afraid of what they might do to him? In fact, how afraid was he? What was his reaction? Say it again. He denied Christ three times. Now, I can't say this for sure, but I think I'm right about this. I don't think Peter ever forgot that. Ever forgot that weak moment in his life. Now, by the way, I don't want to cast rocks at Peter. Because if I'd have been in his shoe, guess what I would have probably done? The same thing. And so, what if you don't condone that? But certainly, we would have probably done the same thing. Now, it's interesting. Peter says, don't be afraid of their terror. But when he was asked or accused of being a disciple, what was he afraid of? Their terror. He was afraid of what they could do to him. But the good news is, by the time Peter writes this letter, he has learned the divine remedy 
to be delivered from fear. Now, by the way, uh, in all fairness, we talked about his denial, but you get in the book of Acts and look at how many times Peter's life was literally on the line. Did he back down? No. By that time, he had sanctified the Lord God in his heart, and he wasn't afraid of their terror. You remember the time uh, when Herod had James killed? And man, everybody liked her. They thought that was the greatest thing in the world. And he thought, I'm going to do the same thing to Peter. So he has Peter arrested. He's in jail. He's a, And he's got guards chained next to him. And he falls asleep. How many would go to sleep if he knew you were going to be executed the next morning? In fact, the angel had to kind of kick him in the side. Peter, wake up. But the bottom line is he had learned. He sanctified the Lord God in his heart, and he wasn't afraid of what they were going to do to him. Now, you and I, we've read the story, and we know that God did send an angel, and God delivered him. Had Peter read that story yet? No, he didn't know. But he wasn't afraid of what they could do to him because he had sanctified Jesus Christ in his heart as Lord. One of the... When we think about when Peter said, but sanctify in your hearts, Christ is Lord. Uh, one of the benefits of that is the awe of his lordship. What's the word awe, A-W-E? What's it mean? What does it mean? If you say you stand in awe of something. Say it again. Yeah. It's unbelievable. I mean, just... <laughs> It's, it, wow, it's, how do you describe it? You can't. It just, you know, your mouth drop open, you're, you're looking for word adjectives. And whenever we sanctify the Lord God in our hearts, and the Christ is Lord, we begin to experience the awe of His Lordship. And here's the thing. It's one thing to make a, a mental ascent about His Lordship, but we have to allow His Lordship to possess our hearts. Now, again, let me make sure we understand. When we say Jesus is Lord, what does that mean? Say it one more time, Dan. <laughs> Isn't that true? Is he in charge of people too? Sure. Everything's included in that. And so we have to focus on that fact. That Jesus Christ is Lord. Also understand, because he's Lord, he has all power in heaven and in earth. So what does he lack? Nothing. He's the master of every situation. Is he sufficient for any emergency? Sure he is. Is he able to meet any need we have? Yes, he is. He is Lord. And whenever we find ourselves, or if we find ourselves, or when we find ourselves, trembling in the presence of our enemies, the problem is because we've come to a place we've got doubts in our lives, or we've lost sight, of God's faithfulness, including Christ, 
and also the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. What can he do? Anything. We've got to stand in awe of his lordship. Let that possess our hearts. But also when we sanctify the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts as Lord, there's a motive. That's the motive for obeying. Now, please understand. Uh, certainly, uh, when we obey God, it can bring peace and comfort in our lives. But the motive for obeying Jesus Christ has to be for His honor and for His glory. Remember, He's Lord, we are not. And if we are going to guard what man can do to us, we have to cultivate a fear of the Lord in our lives. And unless we cultivate that fear of God in our lives, the Lord Jesus Christ will not be magnified. Now, don't misunderstand. I love the hymn, we, what a friend we have in Jesus. And certainly we do. But my friend, first and, more, and most of all, he is our Lord and Savior. He is the great God. He must be magnified. And one of the ways that we can magnify the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts, we've sanctified him in our heart. Uh, we, if we, 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 we glorify him when persecution comes, when trouble comes, and rather than falling apart, we maintain a calm demeanor, we stay grounded in him, we don't become wishy-washy no matter how much opposition we have. And folks, that is the key to honoring God, a motive for obeying Him. But the truth of the matter is, the only way any of us can accomplish that in our lives is if and when we allow our hearts to be occupied with the Lord Jesus Christ and especially His Lordship. Lord, you're in control. And that's why I want to serve you. It's for your glory and your honor. And when we think about sanctifying Him in our hearts, there's also a, a wider application. Look in Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 9. Philippians 2, verse 9. Thank you, Lavenda. When you see the word wherefore, what does that tell you? There's a summary. Something Paul has written. And we're not going to take time to read it, but Paul talked about a time that God exalted Christ, gave him a name that was above every name. In the previous verse, we find that Jesus Christ willingly set aside his glory. And he set that glory aside that he might completely obey the will of the Father. And Paul said, even to the point of death, of crucifixion. Now, it's interesting, and because Christ let it go, didn't grasp on his equality with God, 
Paul says, God has highly exalted him. God has lifted him up. So the question I have is, did Jesus die? Yes. Did they bury a body, his body? Yes. Is his body still in the tomb? No. God didn't let him stay. He exalted him. So he raised him from the dead, Jesus Christ raised him from the dead, and he brought him back up to heaven, and God glorified him. God glorified him. And please understand, in fact, Jesus told the disciples before he left his world, but God gave Jesus Christ all authority in heaven, on earth. He gave him authority to judge. He gave Jesus the authority uh, of both our Lord, of both the dead and the living. We know that God raised him up and seated him on his right hand in heavenly realms. We know that God raised him up far above all rule, all authority, all power, dominion. And I don't care what title you come up with, Christ is above that. God raised him above every title you can think about. But here's what's interesting. Not only is he exalted in this present age, he's exalted in the age to come for all eternity. And so God has taken him, exalted him because he relinquished his hold on equality, obedient to the death of the cross. And God exalted him, but he also placed everything under the feet of Christ. And he appointed Christ to be the head over everything in the church. And Paul says that the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus is above every name. Think about that. It's above every name. Now, by the way, when Paul wrote that, he's not speaking about the title but how the name Jesus and who he was in his person. In his person. In the scriptures, when you read the scriptures and uh, you read of someone's name, uh, their name often reveals their character. And Paul says that the name of Jesus is above every other name. So my question is, what makes the name of Jesus, his person, higher than any other name? Think about it for a moment. How good is his dignity? It's excellent. Now think about that. <laughs> what about his honor? Can anyone exceed that? No. And his name is above every other name because his dignity, his honor is above every other name. We have studied great men and women of the Bible, and there are quite a few of them. But does their, does their honor and dignity, dignity exceed that of Christ? No. He is as far Above that. Now remember, 
Jesus didn't try to hold on to his equality. But he willingly let it go so that he could obey God, that he might carry out the will of his Father, and especially the plan of salvation. Now, you remember what Jesus prayed in the garden, not my will, but what? Yours be done. Yours be done. And so because Christ was obedient, God honored him by giving him a name above all names, but also a name with great power. Amen. A name with great power. By the way, the name of Jesus is so powerful, do you know what's going to happen one day with everybody? They're going to bow down at the name Jesus. What a powerful name. The danger is what, what would handicap us is if we fail to dwell on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we have to be careful here. Now, don't misunderstand uh, from Genesis to Revelation, it's all God's Word. It's all inspired. It's all God breathed. We understand that. But the danger of a lot of Christians is they get their viewpoint of Jesus only from the gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, but please understand. Well, help me out. Let me ask a question. What part of Jesus of his existence, if I, I guess I'm trying to make it clear here, a little bit clearer. What part of his existence did the gospel writers focus on? While he was here on earth. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? An important part of the story. God became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. And that's the story of the gospels. And I'm not demeaning that. I love that story. But again... John in chapter 1, John said, And the Word dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I don't know when that Registered with John. But there was a time when John meets Jesus and he begins to follow him. But it's also a time as John is writing this gospel, he realizes he was more than a man. He was the glory of God. And I think, I, I feel, I, I, in my own mind, we talked about that word all, A-W-E, all ago. John was still in awe. We beheld his glory. In one of his letters, 
John said we touched and we handled the word of life. Now, I'm not sure that that registered with John when they were eating, when Christ was here with him. But there came a time in his life when he realized he's more than just a man. He's the word of life. And the problem with a lot of Christians, all we see is the human side of Christ. And that's, that's important, but we can't stop there. And because of that, our view of the one whose name is above all names is so inadequate. So inadequate. Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 10. The Apostle Paul is writing here. And it's sort of a cry from his heart. And Paul says, oh, that I may know him. Paul is saying that I might obtain a better knowledge of him. How many know that was a goal of the Apostle Paul's life? To know Jesus more. And that same longing ought to be true in our lives every day as we walk with Jesus. To know Him more. And it ought to be an earnest prayer of our lips. That I might know Him more. Know Him more. Second Peter chapter three, look at verse eighteen. Amen. Grow in the grace, and notice this, and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus and Savior Jesus Christ. So yes, we do need to grow in grace, no doubt about that. But Peter said we've got to also grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So how do we grow in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? How do we do that? Amen. What book, Dad? Amen. His Word. We spend time in His Word. We learn about Him through the Word of God. You also learn about Him by listening to good biblical preaching and good biblical teaching. And not only do we read the Word of God, which we need to, hear the Word of God taught and preached and declared, but we take that Word And we assimilate it. We apply it to our lives. So it makes a difference in our lives. Now, by the way, this is not just any knowledge. It's the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord and Savior. And by the way, Christ is Lord. Christ is Lord. 
And that means he's divine. That means he's omnipotent. He is Savior, and he's the one, thank God, who accomplished our salvation. He is Lord. Matthew 11, verse 27. Okay, very clear there. The Father knows the Son. The Son knows the Father. And the only way we can know that, know Him, is if uh, the Son reveals Him to us. Christ is the only way. But the reality is, a lot of Christians know very little about the Christ of God. I don't know if I still have the videotape that I got some years ago on the life of Billy Graham. And, uh, of course, this was toward the end of his ministry. Of course, he was still living. They interviewed him. And uh, the, one of the questions was, if you had to do over again, what would you change? And his answer was, I would spend more time in God's Word. Good answer. How do you know Christ? You get to know through the Word. Through the Word of God. Now, I realize that none of us, no man, knows the Son perfect, but only God does. But please understand, the Bible reveals a lot about Him. We can learn so much about Him from the Scriptures. And here's the problem. First of all, I think we would be shocked if we could get accurate numbers of Christians now, people who name, who name the name of Christ, who really read God's Word regularly, even on a daily basis. I think the numbers would shock us. But also... Even when we do study the Scriptures, our goal in studying the Scriptures is not just to get facts and details and Bible stories. Our goal, as we read the Word of God, should be seeking to discover a better, a deeper, a fuller knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the sad thing is, most of the time our studies do not have that goal in mind. Paul said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection because he is Lord. Study God's word with a goal of finding a deeper knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we mentioned a moment ago. Uh, for a lot of people, uh, their image of Christ is formed from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke, and John. And oftentimes they're guilty of not studying farther than that to find out about Jesus. And we need to understand something. 
again, the gospel are historical, no doubt about that. They address the life of Christ while it was here on the earth. But also understand, they the gospels refer to the time of Christ during his days of humiliation. Now think about that. His days of humiliation. For example, when Christ came to the world, the Son of God, he was born in a palace. What are you shaking your head about, Dan? Humiliation. Humiliation. And so was his life here on earth. You see, the gospel writers, they reveal him in the form of a servant. In fact, Jesus said, I didn't come for you to minister to me, to serve me. I came for what? To serve you. His humiliation. Now, please understand, if you study the gospel, you know that the gospel of Matthew uh, pictures Christ and his kingship, uh, who was here as God's servant. So he pictured him as a king, but what did the Jews do to their king? They crucified him. They rejected him. He's a rejected king in Matthew's gospel. Now, John, in his gospel, gives us a, a picture of the divine glories of God in the flesh, the incarnate Son. But, even though he was God in the flesh, for most of the world, he was unknown. They didn't know who he was. John 1, look at verses 10 and 11. Thank you, Jason. Who created the world? God did. God became flesh. He came to his world. And they didn't know him. They didn't know him. Even came to his own people, the Jews. And they simply would not receive him. They rejected him. So, again, the Gospels are very important. They speak of Christ during his humiliation. Now, by the way, when he comes again, will he come as a baby in a manger? No. Will he come into Jerusalem lowly on riding on, a, on the uh, back of a donkey? No. He'll come in the clouds. He'll come as a victorious warrior. He'll come as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. So the Gospels are important, yes. But to present Jesus Christ in his humiliation, it's not until you move beyond the Gospels <laughs> that you begin to discover the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that is not explained until you reach the Epistles. And the book of Romans, and Corinthians, Ephesians, all of those. Acts chapter 2, look at verse 36. Thank you. 
day of Pentecost, Peter's preaching, preaching mainly to the Jews. He's there's something you need to know. You crucified a man. Was that true? Yes. His name was what? Jesus. And for the Jews, for most of the Jews, he was just a man. But Peter said, there's something you missed. God has taken that same man, that same Jesus, whom you crucified, and he's made him both Lord and Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 20. Thank you, Jason. Let's just read a few more verses. Hebrews 1, look at verse 4. Don't make a comment. Okay. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, look at verse 9. Hebrews 1 3. Thank you, Dan. Now, notice what we're doing here. We're beyond the Gospels. And again, I don't want to belittle the Gospels. Glad they're there, they're important. But does the gospel speak of Christ's exaltation? No. Does the gospel say that tell us that he's going to name him of all names? No. That was because it was talking about his humiliation. And by the way, he had to go through the, humili- the humiliation before he could be exalted. And that was part of the plan. But we can't just stop there. And so the one who was humbled in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is now victorious. The one who was born in lowliness, in a manger, has now been exalted. How high? Far above all principality, all power, all might, all dominion, every name that is named, not only in this world, but in the world which is to come, which sums it up in what way? Everything. Everything. The one who allowed those men to spit in his face has now been given a name even more excellent than the name of the angels. The one they crowned with thorns has now been crowned with glory and honor. The one who hung on that cross, what looked like to humanity a hopeless, a hopelessness, now sits on the right Hand of the majesty on high. (laughs) So these letters, the epistles, book of Acts. And when we think about, in contrast to the Gospels, 
they were all written with the idea of the ascended Christ, who he is now for eternity and was before he came as a man. They tell of a glorified Savior, an exalted Savior. And if we don't study that, we lose so much. Folks, our Savior is the Lord of Lords. He's a King of Kings. And we learned it in the epistles. And so often, when we think about Christ, our days go back, our minds go back to the days of the Gospels, of Christ in the flesh. And, and so we're not very occupied with the heavenly Christ. Jesus told Pilate, there's going to come a day, you'll see me coming on the crowds of glory. Yeah, you'll see me. It'll be different. Totally different than it is now. And the danger is when we don't meditate so much on his exaltation because of who he is now. He sits at the right hand of God. And it's probably because we simply don't spend enough time searching the epistles. Now, I've got to tell you something, okay? Do you ever find any part of the Bible hard to read? We can read it, right? What's the hard part? Yeah, understanding it. And for the most part, the Gospels are relatively easy to understand, right? Now, not, don't misunderstand. I, I also realize that God's Word is spiritually revealed, discerned, okay? God's Spirit opens our eyes. I understand that. But my friend, you get to the epistles. And there's some tough things in there. Important things. And they speak of the exalted Christ. In fact, just a few weeks ago on Sunday, we talked about Peter. Referring to some of Paul's writing. And Peter himself, himself said, some of which are hard to understand. And such it is with the epistles. Now, with the exception of the book of Revelation, in my opinion, and only my opinion, for me, one of the most difficult books to study was the book of Hebrews. And I love the book of Hebrews. But there's a lot of depth in the book of Hebrews. So it's in these letters, these epistles, that we see the distinctive character of Christianity revealed. Not in the Gospels. Now remember, the book of Acts is a transitory book. It's history, if you will. Uh, Revelation, for the most part, uh, most of it belongs to the future. But the letters, the epistles, they reveal the present dispensation, where we live. But the sad thing is, a lot of preachings neglect them. But it takes study. It takes commitment. And even those who study sometimes neglect the epistles. How many know Jesus is more than a baby in a manger? Understand Christianity has to do with a risen, glorified, enthroned Christ. He is Lord. 
A few things I'm going to leave you tonight. Just, it's in your notes. Things we need to know about His Lordship. Number one, the reason Christ is Lord over all, because He is God. Number two, Christ is Lord over all, because in His human nature, He accomplished perfect obedience, He won salvation for us, and He's been given universal domain as a reward. The third thing, Christ claims authority over both believers and non-believers. And the difference is, as believers, we acknowledge that and we submit to Him and we receive the joy of salvation. The fourth thing, because He is Lord, we are to obey Christ in all things. Now, do we obey Christ to get saved? No. Why do we obey Him? Because we are saved. Number five, we are to serve Christ all the time in all of life with all of our heart. Why? Because He is Lord. Number six, serving Christ makes a very big difference in every area of our life. And I can't overemphasize that. Number seven, Christ gives distinctive authority and responsibilities to people in various spheres of life. How many know if we take the name of Jesus, wherever we go, we have an authority with us? Uh, years ago, uh, my friend, uh, pastor, uh, preacher pastor, uh, Ken Holland, uh, he was here in Cincinnati, and he went down to the hospital. Somebody, the family had called him down. It was an emergency, and he went down to see uh, and to pray for the person in the hospital room that day. And I'll never forget what happened. The doctor, being sarcastic, said, do you think you can really help him? He can said in a loving way, more than you can. You know why? He took the name of Jesus. He took the name of Jesus. And finally, through Christ, God establishes a pronounced distinction between the church and all other institution or organization on the earth. Folks, please do not neglect the Lordship of Christ. Amen. Let's stop there for tonight.